morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, welcome in particular to the students that are enrolled in that short crash course on the future of Christian marriage. I look forward to getting to know some of you a little bit better and to have a, uh, an engaging time. I hope it can live up to your expectations. Why are Christian congregations doing more burying than marrying today? Explanations for the wide recession in marriage range from the mathematical. There are more women than men of marriage age in congregations. To the economic, or from cheap sex to progressive politics, reasons abound. But perhaps marriage hasn't really changed much at all. Instead, there is simply less interest in what marriage is in an era marked by technology, radical equality, and secularization. I'm going to share with you today and tomorrow and those of you in the class, tonight, tomorrow night, and Saturday morning, some of what I've learned from a book project on what I call the marital impulse among church-going Christians, data collected in seven different countries, the United States, Mexico, Spain, Poland, Russia, Lebanon, and Nigeria. Although I tend to be more comfortable with number crunching, all of this book, or most of this book, except for a slide or two you'll see, is about interviews, in person, sit down, talk, learn. Comes out in August as uh, your introducer explained. Jay, take me a while to get names down. Jay. Um, comes out in August from Oxford, and it's meant to be a book about how today's Christians find a mate within a faith that esteems marriage, but within a world that is increasingly yawning about it. All right. Did you know that the Bible begins and ends with a marriage? That's what Jessica, a 31-year-old interviewed in Austin, made sure that we knew. This manager of a nonprofit organization who was unmarried with her when we spoke to her, but eventually got married and recently had a baby. She had plenty to say about marriage. She said, so like God tells us of his eternal plan for us in marriage, you know? It's like a marriage isn't meant for us in and of ourselves. It's meant to pre prepare us to be united with God in heaven. From that marriage, the couple and the children who come out of that marriage, she said, they become a symbol and a sign of God's eternal plan of love for them and for everyone else they meet, unquote. At least in Jessica's case, her church has succeeded in communicating what marriage is about, in part. And she is sold on all of it. Marriage as a symbol and a sign. When we are married, she said, we're not just this sort of abstract sign, though. She said, like, Christ's love for the church is beautiful. It's beautiful to think about, but it's like, it's a very concrete thing. Every beautiful good act that I do in my marriage, she said, should transform the world. Wow. Ambitious. 
She said, though, it's, it's a little bit like circles that ripple out from my husband and I to the family, to the community, to the nation, to the entire society until it stretches out all over the world, she said. And she said, that's the power of grace in marriage, you know? The goal is to transform the entire world, basically. It's not bad. Now, whether the institutional Christian church spread throughout the world knows it or not, its young people are not uneducated about what marriage is. What Jessica described for us, this was before she had even met her fiancé, what Jessica described for us is no litany of Hollywood-inspired myths. Most young adult Christians that we met and talked about understand that marriage requires sacrifice. They recognize that it would be building something together, including a household with children who they would then have to figure out how to educate. Most of the people we talked to understand marriage as having divine origin and purpose. They may eventually have real troubles living up to the standards and descriptions they cite, but I don't think they're way off base about what marriage actually is. Whether they were an Orthodox bank teller in Moscow, a Catholic Maronite attorney in Beirut, a Baptist school teacher in Austin, or a Pentecostal shoe salesman in Lagos. And despite the obvious secularization that is at work in the social circles of many of those people, I saw no evidence whatsoever suggesting radical ideas to intentionally undo marriage in favor of some other norm or some new way of organizing intimate relationships. It just wasn't there. The whole thing is impressive, really, and I was surprised and encouraged to see it. I think St. Augustine would be pleased. This central pre-Reformation figure on Christian marriage, Augustine affirmed matrimony as the first natural bond of human society. Now, some things have certainly changed. New and distinctive realities, contexts, cultures, technologies, and situations are affecting this most primal of institutions. The age of marriage has shifted later in life by several years. But about that particular topic, the scriptures are relatively silent. As for what distinguishes a marriageable man or woman, there's not a whole lot of guidance there other than several proverbs and some Pauline wisdom and counsel. Modern economies feature new opportunities that usher in possibilities, lots of options, with little direct biblical guidance for how are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to make of it? Marrying in one's 20s, long considered fairly normative, has receded dramatically in much of the West. There's this Maybe you can't see it in the back. My point is not to fixate on the details. But we can map the free fall of marriage over the course of a few decades in much of what we might have called the Christian West. 
I threw Japan in there as sort of a, a comparison group. Age at first marriage on the right side, also rising nearly everywhere. Within 20 short years, it's gone up two, three, four, five, even six years on average in particular countries. You see, for the Czech Republic, 91% of women who were under age 30 were married in 1980 or 81. 26% of them are married today. That's a dramatic drop, but the other countries are quite similar. If one were to speak in, of these trends in economic terms, it would make sense to say that a mar marriage in the West is experiencing a recession. Skepticism about marriage is spreading eastward and southward from here in the West. I detected this skepticism from Mexico City to Beirut to Lagos to Moscow. It is plainly obvious to me that something is afoot with marriage, if not the marital impulse among the globe's young adult Christians. These are not Christian stats, these are stats for the country. What Christians intend marriage to be, like I said from Jessica, the 31-year-old, what they intend marriage to be still has distinctively Christian character. But why people marry, when they marry, and what they hope to accomplish by marrying is shifting. Marriage, even in the minds of most Christians, has become much less about a foundation to build upon and more of a capstone that marks a successful young adult life. This shift has quietly occurred over probably the last 40 to 50 years. Parents now advise their children, finish your education, launch your career, become financially independent before you do this because dependence is perceived as weakness. Do not rush into a relationship. First loves are not apt to be the best fit. You have plenty of time. Don't be dependent on a mate. As a result, many Christian young adults sense that putting oneself in the trust of another person may be foolish and is certainly minimally risky. Many choose to wait out that risk, sometimes for years, to see if, how the relationship fares before actually committing. Or if they rush in, or even if they don't rush in, they sort of waltz in slowly but surely, their parents will often get nervous second-guessing them. Thinking of marriage as a capstone to a successful young adulthood is meant to be a safeguard. It's meant to reinforce the independence of the spouses rather than their interdependence. In the capstone model of marriage, frankly, these are two adults who really don't need each other. They want each other need each other. We've become what a team of sociologists called marriage planners rather than marriage naturalists. 
even though this is a natural institution. But the terms here are accurate. Capstone is something that you put as a finishing touch on a structure. It's a moment in time. A foundation, however, is what the building rests upon. Foundation is absolutely essential. Capstone, not so much. It's an accessory that can be replaced if necessary. When marriage was considered foundational to the adult life course, more people entered into matrimony, and they did so typically a little bit earlier in life. There was an emphasis, though, on building something, a family, a household, perhaps some career and financial success. Foundations were, foundational marriage was characterized by love, but was intended to be practical. Two people taking shelter together, celebrating what achievements they could, even if their roles were distinctive, and they often were. So there's a profound shift in the meaning and purpose of marriage that few of us reflect upon. One result of this is, of course, later marriage, which need not be a problem and can be a strength. That was the case for Jessica. She married when she was 32, whether she wished for that or not. And I think she wished for it to be earlier. What it certainly means, though, is that fewer people, Christians included, will marry in the future. One demographer predicts uh, that in the United States, people, people who are in their uh, roughly 20 today, that a third of them will not marry in the course of their life. That might be a little bit aggressive, but I bet you he's not off by a whole lot. On average, Americans, Christians or otherwise, we now get ourselves ready for marriage rather than marrying to get ourselves ready to accomplish particular adult objectives. I cannot overemphasize how consequential this shift in meaning and time is. As one demographer observed, he said, quote, owning a home, a car, or having some savings becomes a way to cross a symbolic boundary and qualify for marriage can't afford the, those things, the thinking goes, then you are not ready for marriage. Most people still want to marry, but only some can afford this new capstone vision of marriage. Another interview-based study simply concluded, quote, one does not marry if one is struggling financially, unquote. You know, it's no surprise that we are observing growing inequality in the West, which is in part the result, in part, the result of the marital divide between rich and poor. We now inhabit a world where the advantaged, the privileged, consolidate their wealth and income by wedding off two successful people together. Meanwhile, the disadvantaged are left without even the help of each other. Because rich and poor have bought into the same symbolic vision of the capstone marriage. I'm not sure this is what Jesus had in mind when he reminded the Pharisees and other listeners in Mark 10 that at the beginning of creation, at the beginning of creation, 
God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He was signaling to his listeners that this piece of wisdom, first recorded way back in Genesis, will not grow old. I am not about rushing people into marriage. I don't often give personal advice about the subject. I'm a sociologist. My interests are social, average behaviors. Marriage is a good in so many ways and has been the normative adult relationship behavior pattern for much of Western history and certainly all of Christian history up until now. The capstone vision for marriage, however, has this key problem. It has quietly convinced us that marriage is a luxury good, unaffordable to many. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't intend for that. Marriage, then, is actually a key social justice issue of our time, even though few discern it that way. I'm not talking here about the definition of marriage. You could do that. I'm talking about the actual doing of marriage. Estella is a 28-year-old from Guadalajara, Mexico, one of about 190 young adults that my team spoke with. She works in her family's modest real estate business, and she saves money by living with her parents, as so many unmarried adults in Mexico and lots of other countries do. She's able to keep what she earns, but that's not a whole lot. She's hoping to be engaged soon to her boyfriend, a man quite different in many ways than the men that she had been eyeing previously. But the turn towards him had been intentional. When we spoke, Estella revealed a strategy in seeking a mate that had finally worked for her. Stop eyeing only the men who other women also wanted, and instead expand your field of vision to those who've been overlooked, all the while prioritizing a discernible Christian faith. She said, you know, he's not a cute guy. Like, oh, he's so cute. But he has a big heart, and he's smart. When I met him, she said, I felt like I was failing in relationships because I didn't fall in love with important things. So I realized I have to start looking for something more. She's not misled into thinking that marriage is all sweetness and light. She spoke to us as much about her fears as what she looked forward to. But she said, I think the fears are manageable. Her boyfriend respects her values, including her sexual conservatism. He attends church weekly, although it's not that big of a deal to him. A very common refrain in the world. If he asks Estella to marry him, she said, I will say yes. In fact, she's already told him she would be content to marry now, even while he is wrestling over the instability of his family's business, commercial electrical contracting, which is currently in good shape, right? The global economy has been good for lots of middle class. But competition is stiff, and the uncertainty that plagues that industry is slowing down his plans for a family. 
Men like him sense that they have to have it all together, the capstone model of marriage, before they can feel confident enough to move forward. It is a secular mentality that has no respecter of creed or country. Estella told me she wishes it was not this way. She said, I kind of understand why, but I feel like we're losing the path. We're thinking it's more important to have than to be. Estella thinks she'll be engaged probably within a year, married a year after that. By then, she'll be nearing 31. She had hoped it would all be sooner. A mixture of uncertainty, ambiguity, individualism, and materialism characterized many of our interviewees, all church-going Christians. Some of this struck me, they, some of that struck me, they were that the perpetrators of it. Others seemed victims of this kind of uncertainty and ambiguity, but themselves at risk of regurgitating it into their next relationship. Still others appeared to have emerged from that, wounded but enlightened, determined that they were going to do things differently next time. And Katerina is one of those. She's 28, unmarried, unattached school teacher she spoke with in a Moscow restaurant. She divides her relationship life into two phases, the part before she became a Christian and the part after. She said it's just two completely different stories. What came before was this kind of brainwashing, consistent anxiety about all things material and a drive to avoid all unpleasantness. She had found herself in her relationships saturated with questions. Where are we going to live? How will we live? How are we going to make a living? We don't have our own home. We don't have enough money to have a child. She's different now, more willing to abandon herself to the providence of God. She said, you realize that if you start a family, everything will be as it should be. The Lord will arrange it, she said. If you were given some difficulties, that is just as well. She's found in her new faith a contentment that had long eluded her, but marriage eludes her still. We live in an era of new options, a lot more choices, greater temptations, high expectations, consistent and significant anxiety. Those problems are not limited Guadalajara or Moscow. Versions of that were, were spoken in every country that we visited. Anders, a 25-year-old, the youngest person I'm telling you about, engaged, physician in training, Pamplona, Spain. He's marrying soon, comparatively young for Spain, but after six full years of dating his girlfriend, who's also a physician in training, one might think that he, of all men, a doctor marrying another doctor, and frankly, he was not that attractive, and I thought she was pretty attractive. I thought he should be confident in this. I thought he would exhibit greater confidence as he was approaching marriage. Nope. 
we talked to him, he brought up matters of insecurity, fear of commitment, what he called completely unpredictable situations with your partner, unquote. Later when we sat down and talked, I pressed him about that particular remark. I said, what is this fear about? He said, not to be free, tied to someone, compromised, things you don't know that you don't know. Maybe we're okay now, but not later. Okay, how, I asked. How so? Well, he said, differences arise in a couple. The other person you find is different than you thought they were. I said, we've dated for six years. Isn't that long enough? He said, I feel like I don't know her that well after six years. There are for sure things I don't know, not having lived together. And then we will have a child, and she will respond in one way, and I'll respond in another way. I should have said, yes, that will exactly happen that way. Instead, I said, you know, well, are her parents kind of a window that you can understand what she's like, and what she'll probably do? He said, in part, it helps with some things. We're all educated with, by our parents, marked by the mistakes they've made, he said. Ander is not alone in expressing uncertainty and its accompanying anxieties, as well as having some premarital jitters. Nor is he unusual in expressing only modest Christian resources to deal with the issue, even though his faith is strong and he's embedded in a supportive community of believers. He recognized that understanding marriage as a sacrament gives him a measure of tranquility. Didn't seem like much. In theory, all of this uncertainty could just as well push couples forward towards commitment as stall them, after all. Two together can accomplish more than one, following the logical advice of the writer of Ecclesiastes 4. Commitment should diminish uncertainty. This is not how most men and women perceive marriage anymore. Delay has become a far more common experience than acceleration. When they care about marriage at all, which is increasingly seldom, sociologists tend to think the key to stimulating marriage rates is men's employment, wages, and stability. I have no trouble affirming that money helps prepare men of marriageable age to tie the knot. But holding on to the presupposition that there is still a strong premeval impulse among all men to marry and all that that marriage entails, if only they could afford it, globally I see no reason to believe that is still the case. The situation with marriage has grown more complicated. Expectations have surged in a global world in which the media displays how the other half, the other 10%, the other 1% live. Consequently, one income will not accommodate what many young adults, Christians included, want in their early married life. Couples have historically worked through poverty and then made something of it. People don't want to experience poverty. Poverty, they think, is for the poor. On the internet now, we can search widely and quickly for a spouse. Relationship possibilities far more numerous. This should spell good things for marriage. And yet, the opposite is happening. On the contrary, it's made 
for pickier people. And for the manipulative, it's created far more sexual opportunity short of commitment than ever before. Marriage, in turn, recedes. We're creeping towards a place of relational autonomy. Sounds like an oxymoron, relational autonomy. But we are alone even when we're together. Christians differ from that pattern only by degree. We are surrendering genuine human relationality. We're surrendering that to the dictatorship of the algorithm. There are three social institutions long held to be necessary for human happiness. The family, civil society, and the church. But among these three, family is actually primary. Writing in the journal First Things, University of Tulsa professor Russ Hittinger observes, marriage and family are not only the most vulnerable society of the three, but also the most important to get right. Whoever shrinks from that society is not well prepared to live in the other two. Marriage not only unites two persons, but two families. Learning to get along, to navigate profound difference. That's what Anders worried about. How to navigate difference. It's where love is learned and demonstrated. Why should we be surprised when communities and even countries are fragmenting, when their long-standing common experience of matrimony and family stability is becoming rarer. We're putting at risk a basic key source of human happiness. Admitting the problem, however, does little to solve it. Algorithms shape much about our economic and some about our social life today. We would have to thank we would have to thank them as much as blame them for the state of things. So let's do that. Tomorrow I will talk about a pair of ways that we can resist the global monoculture that has emerged. Since the place for algorithms, efficiencies, and autonomy are not inside households, not inside marriages. It's there, I think, that we can resist. All right, let's close in a a brief word of prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for the goodness of marriage, this most ancient of human institutions, part of the natural order that you have brought us. We thank you for the families in which we were raised, warts and all. They've taught us many things. Help us be good to them. And help us to think about what we have learned from them and search in your word and in your church ways in which we can become marriageable ourselves if that is what you have called us to do. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.